dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or saber a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I am sitting down with Zeke Neely, winemaker for Kundi Family Winery in Sonoma. The winery is family-run and has been growing grapes for five generations. And not just any grapes, but vines that are cuttings from Chateau Margaux and Lafitte Rothschild. When enjoying Kundi wine, you are drinking history. So if you are enjoying exploring the wine glass, I'd appreciate you giving me some love by taking two minutes out of your day to write a review on whatever app you listen to. It's the best way to support the show. And if you'd like to keep up on news, please sign up for the newsletter at exploringthewineglass.com. Slancha. I want a nice glass right now. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, someday service, champagne specialist, and WSET level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Allure of the Poor, sponsored by Dracaena Wines. I am your host, Lori, and today we are traveling to Sonoma Valley to talk to Zeke Neely of Kundi Winery. So hello, Zeke. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Lori. Awesome. Well, first off, complete non-wine. I love the name. Oh, I good. just absolutely <laughs> love the name. I like. Is it is it short for Ezekiel? It is, yeah. All right. Yeah. But my dad was a real uh, fan of old westerns, and there's always an old western coot, an old coot with a shotgun on a porch, and his name was Zeke. So. Yeah, absolutely. My dad, uh, I was uh, raised on John Wayne movies, Yep. and uh, there were quite a few Zekes in there also. So. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> well, we are here to not talk about westerns, but to talk about wine. And so let's talk about your history to start off with. So how did you find your way to wine? Well, my family wasn't really... Um into wine that much. I mean, my, I call my parents like unrepentant box wine drinkers. So, um, it wasn't really part of my everyday, uh, um, upbringing really. But, um, so I went to UC Davis as an undergrad and I knew there were winemaking students at the time, but one of the students I knew his last name was Gallo. So I always thought that your parents had to own a winery in order to be in that major. I didn't realize it was an actual industry. <laughs> and so, um, of course, I mean, you're 19 years old. What do you know? So uh, I ended up getting a degree in biochemistry and then oh, working okay. in the biotech industry of South San Francisco for about six or seven years. But then I found that every vacation end up in wine country. And you talk to a couple winemakers and you realize that um, winemaking is a combination of food science and, and being a chef. And mm-hmm. so that really appealed to me. Like I love cooking, cooking as well. So. Went back to school, got my master's at UC Davis in viticulture and enology, and then bounced around a bit before ending up at Kundi. And so do you, so viticulture and enology, that's one of the things that um, Davis, I actually really like about the program because it, it teaches you the outside and the inside where a lot of places, you know, they teach you, all right, well, you're going to be in the vines or you're going to be in the right. winery. Um, do you have a preference of where you prefer to be? Well, I mean, if you end up as a, a winemaker or a head winemaker at a, at a medium size or small winery, um, you end up doing both. It just depends on the time of year. And so to me, I find that really enjoyable, like um, being outdoors and and during a certain time of year and then um, running a crew in a winery at this, uh, you know, at other times of year. So I think that's kind of makes it a diverse, like people ask you like, well, what do you do as a winemaker? Like, well, give me a month. And right. tell me which tell me which month you're talking about. Right, absolutely. Yeah. And so right now, I'm sure there's a lot of preparation going on. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. And so also, um, specifically this time in in history, um, 
with the inability to get bottling supplies, uh-huh. like like shipping problems and logistical chains, and you know, and strikes at the ports, um, we're finally getting some of the glass for bottling last year's wines or previous year's wines. And so um, there's like a flurry of activity to get stuff that was in tank into bottles and onto shelves at the same time as we're trying to clean all the equipment and the tanks and and check the vineyards and make sure that everything's not getting away from you. So it's uh, pretty hectic right now. Yeah, it's kind of, it's sad. I heard a story of um, one winery, a a small winery who had purchased their glass or whatever, and then it came to uh, port and it got held up or it was held out before port, but it was shipped, right? So it was on, it was on the boat and then it got held up and then they got a notification that, okay, it's no longer held up, but now this is the price of the glass, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And they, they like increased, they increased it significantly, Yeah, uh, you know, and yeah. they're like, but, but wait a second, we already, that glass was already ours, but no, nope, the glass, gonna, somebody else will buy it, I guess, because no. there's just so much, you know, need out there. Supply and but, demand. Yeah. Right, absolutely. And that is true. You know, that's the thing a lot of people don't understand about inside that winery is it's like a chess game of keeping mm-hmm. track of what is in tank or in barrel and then, you know, rotating that to the next to the next process, which would be bottling and then aligning all of that up. And now I don't does Kundi have their own bottling line or we do. Is it a yep. okay? So that yep. makes it that makes it a little bit easier because you don't have to then schedule that mobile truck to come on in and everything. And then yep. at the same time, as you said, now all right, I finally got this this out the door, and now new stuff is coming in. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And it doesn't exactly just go in easily, right? You've got to clean, <laughs> clean, clean, clean. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Uh, uh, so let's talk about Kundi itself. It actually, the winery has quite a bit of history. It's actually like over a century old, right? So can you exactly. tell us about the history? Yeah. Yeah. So the property was um, purchased back in early 1900s. Um, so 1904. And um, one of the, making one of the oldest wineries in Sonoma County, let alone California as well. Um, and uh it's, so it's got like a really low bond number. So the bond number of like for, it's like when yeah. uh, the winery is established. So um, it's 202. So it's like the 200th winery in existence in, in the United States. Wow. So um, it's uh, that's kind of cool, right? Uh, yeah. But so it's been in the family ever since. So they've owned the property. Um, you know, they went back and forth between... Um, they always had grapevines, but having grapevines and cattle, like for a long time, and it's Sonoma Valley was more well known for for um, beef and, and cattle raising. Napa Valley too. I mean, they had the tanner, um, the tanning right on the Napa River, which right. kind of polluted it for a while. <laughs> They're still getting over that. Oops. <laughs> yeah, but um, so it's like very ag oriented area of of California, Sonoma Valley, and so um, these days it's still. Um, and the family family is in management, uh, the Kundi family. Um, and uh, we have uh, several vines, little plots where the vines are over 100 years old because they're the originals, you know, so that's kind of cool to work with. And not only cool, but uh, they're cuttings from Chateau Margot, Lafitte Rothschild, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's some pretty incredible history there. And so... Maybe you can explain a little bit. I know that that you're relatively new there, but the whole concept of it is no matter where you go. So these vines that have come from Chateau Margaux and Lafitte Rothschild, they right, you can keep them going by kind of, you know, taking clippings, and that's actually how they got here. So can you explain like what a clipping is and how you can keep that vine, that vineyard site going? this many years sure so um these are these little uh so what you end up doing so during the winter time uh, the vines go dormant and so they just kind of shut down and they're perfectly fine and what we do with these um with these clippings is we graft them onto an existing rootstock and so you have basically what looks like a bundle of sticks um but it's still like a living grapevine and so you can take a grapevine from a famous vineyard, 
or just like like a clipping from there, and then graft it onto a rootstock in California, and then grow basically a clone of what that grapevine was at Lafitte Rothschild, you know. And so from that, you can end up having um, sort of a propagation of history. So you have these famous vineyards that who knows how old that vine was or how many times it's been um, repropagated from the original grapevine that could have been from Roman times. Like you don't really know. And so some of these vines have a lot of history within California. And so some of them have completely lost their origins. So And so we've given them new names. So there's Wente uh, family in um, Livermore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they would, they were kind of like, like a repository of some of these old vines. And so we just call it old Wente clone, like some of these Chardonnays and, and Cabernets that you get or Zinfandels. But really, who knows where it came from originally? Like the Wentes didn't originate it. Like it came somewhere in Europe, you know? So, so you just kind of, you can continue to propagate these things. And then once you've got a grapevine growing that came from that original grapevine, you could take clippings off that one and make clones of it in the vineyard. So the whole vineyard block can be from that one vine that was in France at, you know, in the 1800s. As long as you have patience. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it, it'll take a while. <laughs> and I always think that that is a really cool concept um, that you can have, you know, a vine that was somewhere else in this, um, you know, this amazing vineyard site and bring it over. And it's the same vine. It's the same thing. You just, it's so cool. You know, it's There's incredible. a winemaker in Napa that um, was visiting England and, uh, and, and like an old Roman ruins. And there was a grapevine grown against a wall that was gnarly and huge. And he's like, that's Chardonnay. Um, and he got permission and they, they were able to, to date it to Roman times. Wow. This, this grapevine is still alive, um, but it didn't really have any fruit on it anymore. But he was able to petition the government to get a clipping, like a pruning from it. And he propagated a vineyard here in Napa with this Roman Chardonnay. Um, and so he makes like, like a barrel um like from this this but to me that's that's super cool right like it's just a tie to these ancient like histories that we have that is that is pretty cool i would love to i would love to taste that that wine just to say that you know you know exactly where that came from and that's that that would be cool that we're gonna have to do a little more research on that one and find out where it is um but that is cool and you know like in paso topless creek has done amazing mm. things with it you know um bringing back the vines and propagating them and having farms so that i mean pretty much every vineyard has a topless creek uh a vine that's another one for sure yeah yeah it's also kind of interesting too though sometimes there's mistakes because when you bring these these clippings back it's just a stick mm. and you can't tell from that stick like if it gets mixed up like you don't you don't know what it is you know so. right right unless you have a true amphilographer there who knows really really what he's doing well, and then yeah, that's exactly. years down the road anyway before it starts fruiting and you know exactly what it is totally um, i thought you were going to bring up a very specific oops of paso I, well, that was the one I was thinking <laughs> of. Yeah. We, we talk about it all the time. It, you know, it, it happens, you know, the, for sure. Yeah. Oops. You know, and it can turn out great. It can lead to yep. a whole other path. Um, so again, you had mentioned that it is completely family run. Uh, they're in their like fourth generation now, but there's youngins coming up. There is. Yeah. The fifth generation. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a legacy or well, it is a legacy really. And does this fifth generation, do they, are they aiming towards that or is it? Yeah. Some of them, yeah. some of them branch out. And um, like I worked with one of the Kundi kids at a different winery. I was in Sonoma Valley that I was working at. Uh, so there, some of them like are passionate about the wine industry, but don't necessarily want to be stuck in the family uh, business, you know? Um, right. But uh, one of one of the fifth generation is uh, running the tasting room at this oh, time. Okay. So, so it's just, you know, they find little areas of expertise. And I think it's always good that, or I think it's common that these legacy families and the wineries, the, the children do branch out. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of interesting. They usually always come right back home. You know, and right. realize that you know maybe the grass isn't greener over there. This is pretty how good they had it. Yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. So let's talk about what Kundi is known for. What do you guys grow? 
what what type of grapes do you have? Well, um, on the estate vineyard here, we've got um, quite a bit of Zinfandel, uh, Chardonnay, and Cabernet Sauvignon are the main things that that the winery is known for. Uh, Sauvignon Blanc as well. Um, so uh, one of the major players in that area. Uh, we've branched out a little bit. We're making some Russian River Pinot from uh, fruit we buy from an outside grower. Um, but for the most part, that's where um, people come to see the wines. Like they're interested in like, and then Sonoma Valley is sort of known for Zinfandel. Like if you think about it. Mm-hmm. And what do you think about Zinfandel? Because it really is. But what do you think about Sonoma Valley that is Zinfandel? What What is the climate like? What is the geographical features that make it ideal for Zinfandel? So Zinfandel is sort of a light-skinned grape or a thin-skinned grape. And so it's prone to um, disease pressure. So I don't know if you've had your table grapes and you left them out too long and they start to get a little mildew on them or something like that. And Zinfandel will do that pretty quickly. So, um, but it also doesn't like... um, too much direct sunlight. It can it can also burn and um, sunburn and, and reduce the quality of it. So really, you want some place that gets warm enough um, that has enough sunlight that it'll ripen, um, but at the same time, it's not too hot. But you also want this airflow and lack of moisture, so it doesn't really get any of the disease issues. So that's the technical end of it. Um, but really, having a vineyard where um, the vines struggle a little bit. Um, and so what that does is reduce the number of leaves and shadowing that it has over the fruit and allows a little bit more um, what we want to call dappled sunlight. And so dappled sunlight on the fruit is ideal for um, those berries, those individual berries on a cluster to develop flavor and color. So that's kind of what you're looking for. And so Sonoma Valley itself is sort of ideal for um, just that sort of uh, profile. It's a little bit too warm for things like Pinot Noir, which is more of a cool uh, climate grape. And it's, uh, but it's, it's pretty ideal for Zinfandel. And so you're, ha- you're having um, the ocean influence come in? Is that- yeah, it's more of San Pablo Bay. So we have San oh, okay. Pablo Bay, a little, little cooling influence. We also have an ocean influence because um, directly west of Sonoma Valley, there's a couple gaps in the coastal range where an ocean breeze can come through. Um, so it's so it'll cool down from the south, which is San Pablo Bay, that 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 bay influence, okay. as well as from the ocean breeze from the west. Okay. And so that's kind of interesting because Zinfandel, all I think about Zinfandel is back to uh, prohibition times where they were like shipping them in the bricks and stuff so in my bird i had it as a thicker skinned because it lasted so long being shipped but um what what about the grape makes it be able to ship like that well i think a lot of those um grapes that were shipped back eastern prohibition were a combination of zinfandel and alicante bouchette Um, which is it's it's like a it's called a tinturier where um so red grapes red wine grapes um just have red skins and the flesh inside the the berry is clear um tinturier grapes are red on the inside flesh as well and so that made just this really dark sort of wine where um you could you could make the wine out of those grapes um press the skins just add more sugar and water and make a second batch like out of out of those grapes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Zinfandel is a little lighter, but it does well with with a lot of these uh, Italian varieties, like as a blender. And do you uh, does Cundi do use Zinfandel as a blend? It, do you have blends? There's a couple blends. Lineup? Yeah, that that will um, use Zinfandel as well. And sometimes, if you get a certain vineyard block, um, sometimes those blocks were planted with different occasional grapevines in there. So these field blends that you harvest all at once will occasionally have some of these um, darker grapes just mixed in. And you can, like only if you're out there individually picking them differently would would you keep them separate. So, so that, that's kind of fun too. So you actually, you make individual blocks. So the wine that I have here is the heritage block. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm assuming that since this is an actual called out to the block that these these vines, the berries are held separate and processed independently. So how do you um, what is your general philosophy 
on production of red wines, Zinfandel, you know, in terms of oak? Uh, do you like any stainless? How do you go about processing? Sure. So um, specifically for a wine like that, um, Heritage Blocks in, um, we can only get those grapes from that block. And so that has to be um, kept completely separate from the other Zinfandel wines that we make. Um, and so basically you have different tiers of what you're looking at. So for a larger blend that might um, end up being sold retail at a grocery store, um, you can mix and match, you know, based on, on what you're looking at. But really what you want to do, if you can, is keep everything separate, every block separate, um, ferment it separate and barrel it down separate so that you can take a look at what each vineyard did quality-wise every given year. So you, it just informs you about which which farmers performed well, which ones didn't, which blocks performed well within a farm, you know, um, and it helps you make decisions for the future. So for this heritage, Zen, this is kind of a cool project because we're talking about um, having these cuttings from um, different uh, old vines. And there's a project um, uh, spearheaded by uh, ZAP, Zinfandel Advocates and Producers. And it was to make sure that we preserve some of these old vines that they know about that have been around for at least the 1930s. So it's, it's been um, confirmed that these vines have, sit in, have been in these, planted in these vineyards since the 1930s at least. Wow. And so um, what this heritage block has is these different clones from different areas of California um, that were sourced and then replanted in uh, the block that we have at Cundy um, in different rows. And so we have, you know, super like, like vines that are maybe a hundred years old from the Dry Creek Valley of Sonoma County, from uh, Mendocino County, from Napa, you know, so all these different areas and they sourced all these different vines from them. And then now they're all planted in this one vineyard. And so we can see how they perform and, and make a fun little, like we're talking about a throwback to history, like a little history lesson in, in your wine glass. That is pretty cool. That And is this, so is this always 100% Zinfandel or are those grapes tech, could they be other varieties that are in that block? Uh, no, these would be 100% Zinfandel. 100% yeah. Zinfandel. Yeah. So you're seeing in a single block, you're seeing how Dry Creek Valley grows there, how Sonoma mm. Valley grows there. That's and how, so are you able to harvest? Are they, are they basically ripening at the same time? Because I'm assuming they're different clones. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I think that um, they basically ripen at the same time. And it's like for, for Zinfandel specifically, um, based on the climate and the soil, um, things kind of track each other, even though they're different clones. The flavors you get, from those vines will be a little bit different, um, but the clones themselves sort of track ripeness levels. And now the it, I have that Kundi has vineyards that are within the valley floor that go all the way up to the Mayakamas mountain range. So you have varying degrees of altitude. Uh, so what? How does that affect the grapes that are being grown there? Significantly. So. Um, whenever I visit a vineyard, you know, I'm always thinking about like, what, how does it feel to me? Like the weather right now, because I know where I came from, like what the weather is like, and you're, you're just kind of aware of those things. So if you visit down to, um, for instance, the Carneros district of, uh, Sonoma County in the afternoon, it's super windy. Like, it's just like the, the wind is just really powerful. Um, but in Sonoma Valley, there's very little wind, you know, like at that same time, it's just like a wind tunnel down in the south there. And so that'll affect the grapes because it'll, it'll cool down the vineyards um, if you have that high wind. And it also makes the vineyard or the vines themselves shut down and like go to sleep for a little bit. Mm. Now in Kundi Vineyard specifically, because of the huge altitude changes, sometimes you can be above the fog line. So you have morning fog. And so at the top of the hill, you'll be getting morning sunlight whereas the vines on the valley floor will be in the fog. And so they'll be chilled down. So oftentimes you'll have um, vineyards that are at the top of the hill that uh, start to ripen a little bit quicker because they're getting more sunlight. Now that said, in the evening, it might be super windy 
up at the top of the hill and it's kind of calm down in the valley floor. So um, the valley floor might get more heat in the evening of each day, but less sunlight in the morning of each day. And so that just leads to different ripening speeds, uh, different flavor profiles, you know, different disease pressures, which is something that you always have to worry about. But um, you just end up having like a different wine that you end up making from these different, you know, different blocks. So altitude is pretty important. And then you also think about like at the top of the hill, it's usually pretty rocky because over the millennia, like a lot of that topsoil is washed down from all the rains. And so it's just a very um, stark and often rocky sort of soil up at the top of the hill and down at the bottom of the hill, all that topsoil has washed down there. It's like, it's like a heavier profile. So that also lends a different sort of ripening and flavor profile to the eventual wines that you make. All right. So as the water comes down, it's washing away the soil, but it's also washing away the nutrients. So then it's much more nutrient rich down at the, on the floor than. than exactly. Yep. And, but that is what makes wine making the cool part because you if you're harvesting these and you're keeping them all separate when it comes time to make a bottle make your final blend even if it's 100% zinfandel make your final blend to take from this barrel that had a little bit more difficult time this barrel that had a lot of sunshine this barrel who had a little bit cooler temperature and that's what makes the complexity of the wine versus right? yeah exactly so if you keep them separate then you end up having very unique wines um and then but then sometimes you can take the components and blend them in certain ratios and make a very complex wine you know so i think that that's you're right that's a fun part it depends on what your goal is do you want to have six different zinfandels that all differ based on where they came from or do you want to have like two really interesting Zinfandels, you know, or, you know, it just depends on what, like, what you're, what you're trying to create. I think it would be a pretty cool, um, there, and there are some wineries that have done it where you can match, um, you match, I'm thinking of uh, blanking on their name. They're in Sebastopol. They're a Pinot, they're a Pinot. Uh, oh, McPhail. Mm. Uh, they have, they have a wall of their soil types. Oh, right. 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 So like tunnels of, of the dirt that's in the, you know, in the thing, and then you can taste the wine and, you know, part of it is to guess which soil that has come from, you know, that type of thing. Those are good visuals. Um, um, but like we talked about, it's so much more complex than that. Like it just, you know, like you could have those soils, but if they're all at the top of the hill or if like once, if you switch one with the other based on the altitude, like those grapes will turn out different. So, so yeah, the soil is super important but it's like only one facet of how those grapes create flavor you know absolutely it's it's the uh you can nature the grapevine but it's really the the or i guess you can nurture the grapevine but it's truly nature that is going to make that big difference no kidding Um, so how did you find your way to kundi after you graduated um you know after you graduated with your master's master's is that what you said? Yeah, master's yeah. degree. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's funny. So it's there's like a lot of names of jobs in the wine industry <laughs> and like in production. So while I was getting my master's degree, I did an internship. So I was an intern okay. during a harvest. Um, and then after that, because of my science background, my first job was as a laboratory manager. And then after that, it was an enologist, which is a, like a level below an assistant winemaker. And then an assistant winemaker, then a winemaker, then a production winemaker, oh. then a uh, then a head winemaker, and then now a senior winemaker. So <laughs> all right, that is so, a lot of tears. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so that's I, I always joke that senior winemakers because of my gray hair. <laughs> what what is a production winemaker? So sometimes there's like a um, dirty little secret in the wine industry. Sometimes there's a, like a face of the wine rebrand, right? Yeah. Um, but like the face of the brand doesn't always, isn't always the person that's doing the winemaking. Okay. And so they need somebody to produce all the wines for the brand itself. And so that's what I was doing for, for that job title. Uh, so, so they wanted somebody else's face. They wanted your, your abilities, yeah. but somebody else's face. Exactly. <laughs> 
it's hard to believe with this face. But. I don't know. I, I, I agree. I, well, I think you could be the face of many wineries. I there do. you go. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, so Kundi is very uh, focused also on sustainable wine growing. So exactly. why, yeah. Which is wonderful to hear. And I think that it's becoming more and more, you know, I think it used to be a buzzword. Now it's like, wait, you're not doing it. But right. it's interesting when you find a winery that's been doing it long before it was even a buzzword. Right. So why do you think it's so important? Well, so, I mean, there's also kind of an, to me, so let me back up a little bit. I remember talking to a, uh, a winemaker in Mendocino County and um, somebody was asking like, well, is this, is this wine, are, the, are these grapes for, for this, this bottle of wine, were they sustainable or organic or, you know, something like that? And it's like, yeah, they're organic, but it's not so much because the grower really felt like strongly about it. It's because he's a cheapskate. Like, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, well, what are you going to do if you get mealybug in your vineyard? He'd ask and the, and okay. the grower's like, are you going to spray it? He's like, do you know how much that stuff costs? Costs. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so there's kind of a frugal aspect to um, sustainable or organic grape growing because both are about limiting Limiting. how much spraying you're doing because you, you can like, what's the bare minimum. And so you can approach that from a environmentalist viewpoint, but also from a cheapskate viewpoint. Like really, like you don't want to pay for stuff that you're not needing, you know? So like from that point of view, good farming means doing the bare minimum, right? The bare minimum inputs, bare minimum number of tractor passes through a vineyard, all that kind of stuff. And so what I like about sustainable, like, so certified sustainable, what I like about that is it has many levels. It's not just um, pesticides. Um, It also has different levels of... um, uh, are you taking care of the creek beds? Like, is the water flow? Are you making sure that there's no erosion control, or that there's erosion control? And also, are you paying your workers a living wage for where they live? Like, um, and then it also has a facet of: is your business model sustainable? You know, like, or you could do all these things and go bankrupt. And then so, like, <laughs> so you have to make sure that it's. So you have to think about it, like, from the point of view is is. Is this going to continue for another three generations? And now, a word from our sponsor. Exploring the Wine Glass is brought to you by Dracaena Wines. Dracaena Wines is an artisan winery located in Paso Robles, California. They have been producing wine since 2013. Their first vintage began with one wine, their classic Cabernet Franc, which received a 91 in Wine Enthusiast. Since then, they have increased production as well as expanded their portfolio, have received many accolades, including multiple double gold medals and consistent 90-plus ratings. Visit their website, www.dracinawines.com, or use the link in the show notes to schedule a private tasting and to see their entire portfolio. Purchase your award-winning wine and let Dracina Wines help turn your moments into great memories. And so I think that's the part that I enjoy about the sustainable moniker. Yeah, it's funny because you you pointed that out. Organic really only cares about the vines or yep. the fruit or the whatever you're growing because there's organic everything out there. Uh, but sustainable really cares about the vines, the soil, the creeks that are flying by, the birds that are flying overhead. At, you know, the winery itself or the building itself, the people inside of it, it encompasses so much more of just treating everything equally good. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely more encompassing, like yes. as, as like a, a, like a positive sort of mindset or um, paradigm. So I really like that whole thing. I mean, it's difficult because it's like, we just spent five minutes trying to explain it. Like it's, 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 it's difficult to have like a little short little phrase right. like organic is is really straightforward you just here's a list of stuff you can't use that's what organic right. is you know and which is fine but but it's also it doesn't encompass the things we we're just talking about now and, and the other thing about organic is yeah you can't use this but you know people get all up at ours you know about sulfur and things like you know 
organic versus, you know, do you use it? Do you not use it? And there's, I just think organic seems to be more gray area type things because Mm -hmm. yes, here's a list, but you know what, this really does fight this. So you can, you know, you can do this type thing. Right. Yes. Sometimes there's not a whole lot of rhyme rhyme or reason. Right. Right. Where sustainability is truly just the better of people, better of the environment, better of whatever you're growing. It's a rather straightforward. The other cool thing about sustainable, like certified sustainable is that every time you're recertified, you have to show, I don't know, five or 10 things that you're doing better than the first time you're certified. Oh, dang. So <laughs> it's, it's get rough. That you can never get can rough rest. after a hundred and some odd years. Of exactly. Reading. Yeah. So you just <laughs> you keep on having to show that you're um, taking efforts to improve. improve. Wow. Yeah. That, that, that can get, that can get rough. <laughs> <laughs> totally. um, so let, let's go back. I do have a glass. It is only 1130, but I'm just going to sip here. Uh, so this is a heritage, uh, heritage block Zinfandel. And now it does say Sonoma Valley on it, but this is 2018. So this is pre Sonoma Valley AVA. Are we, or is it Sonoma coast AVA is the new, what's the new AVA? Sonoma Coast was the new Sonoma one. Sonoma Coast, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. never mind, never mind. Um, so Sonoma Valley, uh, how? I don't know if you have this in front of you at the moment, but I, I think that it's got the typical uh, the 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 aromatics of Zinfandel, mm-hmm. and I think that um, Zinfandel to me more so than a lot of other grape varieties gets distinctive characteristics like dry creek zinfandel mm-hmm. dry creek zinfandel you know i think you get that so how do you how do you describe a sonoma valley zinfandel to somebody what can they expect so sometimes when you're looking at like a um a dry creek so dry creek valley in sonoma county is um a bit warmer it's a bit warmer than than sonoma valley and so you end up with a riper profile like some, and it's, and it's very distinctive. Like you said, um, Sonoma Valley ends up having a little bit more of red fruit rather than that, that black cherry. Yeah, definitely. And, um, but it still has the same spiciness. So there's sort of like a white pepper spiciness that Mm -hmm. you, you get with these, these wines. And then sometimes when you age a Zinfandel and Oak, um, some of that spiciness turns into baking spices, like, like cinnamon or nutmeg. And so you get a lot of those sort of flavors to it. Um, and then the nice thing about Sonoma Valley is um, you, because it's a little cooler, you maintain more acidity. So mm-hmm. in Dry Creek Valley, oftentimes um, as the grapes ripen, uh, they lose some of the acid. And so when you make the wine, sometimes it could be feel heavy, like it feels like a heavier wine. Mm-hmm. Um, not all the times, but, but sometimes it does. And so Sonoma Valley having a little bit more of a, like a diurnal swing. So it's going to cool down at night more than it will up in Dry Creek Valley. And so that, that helps maintain some of that acidity and also extends the growing season. So you end up getting more, um, more hang time. So this definitely has, has red fruit and it is a lighter bodied than, mm-hmm. than the, than the Dry Creek. Um, but it's still, as you said, the acidity is, is bright. So it it's very fresh fruit it's very fresh red fruit in there exactly and the it is to me it is white pepper a little maybe like cardamom so Mm -hmm. like a little bit of of that so do you um since this was not your vintage right um do you know what the process was how much oak new oak is on this well in general yeah so i tasted through a bunch of the wines i would say that um so first off when somebody's starting off uh, and like with the goal of being a winemaker, some of the advice that I give them is only work for wineries whose wines you like, because you can end up um, like making a decent living, but also being just kind of not very Miserable. proud of yeah. your products. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you're like, well, I did exactly what they wanted. I made a quality wine, but it's not the kind of wine I like to drink. And so, right. um, so when I took the job at Cundy, like first thing you do is you go to the tasting room um, in incognito. And then taste oh. through the wines like before the interview and make sure like, do I really want to shoot for this job? You know, like, let's make sure I like the wines. And so tasting through the Zinfandels, they have a similar profile to what 
I like to do, which is if you do a hundred percent new oak, it's just going to overpower it. That's going to, you know, it's going to taste like, it's going to taste almost like bourbon at that point. So really um, what you want to do is shoot for somewhere between 25 and 40% new oak. And so, and then oftentimes with Zinfandel, um, something that works really well is American oak. And so American oak barrels. And so that's basically what I've found um, just going through the wines in the cellar. Uh, Like that's, that's sort of the profile that we're looking at. Because there is, uh, to me, I think you can tell that there's an oak influence to it. Um, Not from that vanilla, not from that oakiness, but the tannin that is in there, it's softer. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you have, you know, I think that's what the oak helps to soften a bit. Um, Definitely. But it, and it is interesting because it definitely is on that red fruit on that red fruit spectrum. But when somebody comes to Kundi, I hear they can bring their dog and go on a dog hike. I haven't, I haven't tested that theory, but yes, yeah. it's very dog friendly here. Yeah. yeah. Um, I saw online that you can go on a dog hike. Um, and then after, I think it's like four hours long. So my mm. dog would not be a happy at 13 years old. <laughs> he would not be happy after a four hour hike. Um, but so I'm assuming you're going up into the, I mean, the vineyards, the yeah. vineyards are, yeah. are, are they right there? Is the estate? Cause one of the things that I think people are confused about is estate doesn't mean that your winery is right there. You know, estate means that you own it. So you can have an estate somewhere else, right. um, but are your vineyards right there? Yes. Uh, the, the tasting room and winery itself is surrounded by the vineyards. Yeah. Okay. And some of the, some of the, um, options they have for tasting, you have to book them in advance, but it's like they, they take you in a van uh, all the way to the top of the hill so you can see, you can taste wine up, up at the top of the hill. And like, I mean, the view is, is spectacular. You see all wow. Sonoma Valley all, all the way down to San Francisco if the air is clear, if the, you know, if, wow. the, if the fog's clear. So it's, it's pretty, I highly recommend it if you can swing that one. Yeah. But, uh, but the tasting room itself is also, uh, the structure is a recreation of the original uh, building from 1904. And wow. so um, like brick for brick, like, so it's pretty cool. Wow. And yeah. you know, that's something uh, tradition continues in Kundi. Like they, they move forward in advancements and understanding of technology and continuing to create wonderful wines, but there is that recognition to the past. And yep. I think that, yeah. You know, I know that doesn't necessarily translate into the wine, but I think it in a way it does. You know, well, I mean, really, what you want is if your name's on the bottle, you should take pride in it. You know, right. and uh, like they all grew up on this property; they all went swimming in the swimming holes and like all that kind of stuff. So it's there's like a lot of history and a lot of um, pride associated with with this wine label. And going back to those tastings, if you could go up to the mountain, I think one of the coolest things to see is you had said earlier about the grapes could be above the fog line. Mm-hmm. I think it is amazing when you are up above the fog line and then you're up there. So I can envision going up in the morning, having, you know, dressed nice and warmly um, and then watching the fog, you know, not be able to see anything below and then enjoying a nice glass of Kundi wine and watching the fog disperse off. So then you can start to see things. That's got to be incredible. It's spectacular. Like if you're so part of my job, every once in a while I pinch myself because you end up like visiting vineyards that are so out of the way along dirt roads and through these fence lines and everything else. And you end up in this little magical area like surrounded by redwoods or, you know, it depends on where you're going. It's just, but it's all these little areas where um, like everyone's all I think to myself, like a tourist would pay hundreds of bucks for this experience. And like, I'm getting paid. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, if you're in the vineyards above the fog line and you just look down and you can see the mountaintops around you and that's it below is just this blanket. Like it's, it's, it is pretty managed, pretty magical. Yeah. I, my husband and I had biked um, in Colorado Springs. We biked um, Pikes Peak. Mm-hmm. And it was hysterical because they take you up to the mountain because we weren't going up it. We were going down it. Right. Um, and uh, so they take you up in the van up to the very top of Pikes Peak. And 
you're freezing. You've got like eight layers of clothing on and all this stuff. And the van follows you down. And as you get hot, because now you're going lower and lower yep. so it gets more and more by the end of the thing you're in shorts and a tank top because but up on top you had like two pairs of sweatpants they literally had in the van just massive boxes of clothes that you would just throw on and then you could whip them off as you were going um but that's to, it yeah right but to be up there and to be enjoying because i personally think kundi makes incredible wines i i think they're they're distinctive. I think they're true to to the terroir, um, and it's always a quality wine. And what's even more impressive, it's not even their prices are are not out of control. Like they're, they're exactly reasonable yeah. priced wines. Um, I always think we charge too little, but don't change that on my behalf. Yeah, don't change that on my behalf. You know, I I kind of agree with that. Uh, when I was talking about Kundi on. Um, on the television segment, I told the host the price, and I think she almost keeled over. Uh, you know, um, yep. but it you know it's it's quality, and it's nice that Cundy doesn't it, go out of control. That's it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, is there anything about Cundy or about the area, the estate that I didn't talk about that? that people should know about Kundi? Uh, it just, it's got a lot of history to it. So I think that, you know, some of the first Cabernet vines in the United States were planted on this, this property, you know, who knows where, but uh, <laughs> like it's on this property. And so you have all these just characters uh, that, that came through here, like all part of California history um, that make it pretty special. I mean, there's like a lot of historical stories associated with this area. Um, the other thing I like to tell people is that um, Sonoma, like, so I kind of personify grapes and uh, grapevines. And so I think that like a lot of times grapes grow really well where people want to live. Um, and so if you think about like, the wine countries of the world, they're always like the most moderate yet kind of sunny areas of each country, you know, right. not too hot, not too cold, you know? And so I think that Sonoma Valley is sort of a piece of paradise, you know, when you like, we've got a house, so it'll, it'll reach um, hundred degrees every once in a while in the summertime, but it cools down at night. And so we don't have air conditioning and we've only ever wanted it like one week a year, you know? So, <laughs> and then it doesn't get, so cold in the winter and not so hot all the time. And so like, it's it just a nice little area. So I, I always think that if you're planning a visit, definitely spend a little time in Sonoma Valley. Absolutely. Windows open, enjoy, enjoy it. But you mm -hmm. you're actually the very first person who has ever said that about personifying the grapes to well, if we like the area, the grapes kind of like the area that that's, you're the first person who said that. And it's so true. If yeah, you, you think, think about, about those regions, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Right. And, you know, different grape varieties, just like different people. Okay. I can deal with it a little colder. That's right. not me. My husband can deal with it a little bit colder. I, I can't deal with it a little bit colder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So different grape varieties, but it's still those beautiful areas that, you know, climactically, um, you know, it, and scientifically, it's really a very small region. Well, it's very narrow. Yeah, definitely. Know? And, and those longitude latitude thingamajiggies of which grapes really love to live and yep. kind of the same with people. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. You are the first person. So I'll give you kudos to that. The, oh, thanks. That is the first person who has put that and that is absolutely so true. Uh, so where can people find Kundi? Uh, we have a national distribution. So, so yeah, like, and it depends on the tier brands that you're looking for. So, so sort of our entry level, you'll find at grocery stores, uh, like especially in California. Okay. Um, but we also have a website so you can um, buy online. Um, if you can ship to your state, I never really know which states you can ship to anymore. But, Changes um, all the time. Exactly. We also have a wine club that's pretty active. Um, so mm -hmm. definitely look us up online. And this heritage block is <laughs> uh, a higher tier, Kurt. It is. And it's usually just direct to consumer, like tasting room or wine club. Okay, yeah. But they can always just go online and check it out. And have it shipped. Exactly. And have it shipped. And, yeah. and check out the dog hikes because <laughs> I want to do that. 
<laughs> Maybe the shortened version. The shortened version, yes, yes. Um, and I'm thinking up the Mayakamas Mountain might not be the happiest for my dog at this time. But, <laughs> yeah. but I think you deserve, if you can hike up the mountain, I think that you deserve a very nice glass of wine afterwards. So yes, definitely. It's <laughs> steep. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, that, so I'm going to wrap it up, but then I have this question. That steepness, how is harvesting on on those like it's got to be slow slow going on those steep it's definitely slow like some of the older blocks are terraced so it makes it a little bit um easier for for foot traffic but um a lot and a lot of it's hand harvested so uh makes it uh pretty difficult like i i'll, I'll walk up those vineyards. you just get winded like when you're walking <laughs> up those vineyards and like uh, you know so it's uh definitely slow going especially all the hand harvesting and some of them are so steep that you couldn't machine harvest you know. it, even if you could. You'd like the thing would tip over. So right. that wouldn't be good. That'd be good. Whenever, whenever I go away somewhere, um, the hotel, I always use the the stairs. I try not to use the elevator, mm -hmm. and uh, I always, I always say, I conquered the hotel because, like that first, <laughs> the first day of the hotel, you walk up the stairs and you're like <laughs> you know whatever but yep. if you're staying at that hotel for like a week or so by the end of the week you're like yeah i conquered the i conquered <laughs> this hotel all good so maybe you know you got to get used to conquering conquering the the steepness that's it um, that's you know but you're probably carrying a lot of other stuff with you i'm just carrying myself but um but anyways, well, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Kundi can be found on social media right there. Yep. Uh, is it Kundi Wines? Kundi.com. Kundi.com. Yep. And everything there is, we'll send you to the social media so you can find them. Exactly. And uh, in, uh, the Zinfandel is killer. The, fir the original one that I had on the TV segment was, uh, I guess, your entry level. Mm -hmm. Zinfandel and that was that was stellar and this is this is just beautiful so I will say I know you don't have a glass but I always end it with raising a glass and saying slancha and thank Slanja. you thank you very much for joining cheers this has been another episode of exploring the wine glass thanks for listening if you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss please reach out on social media you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoytbud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Music is Wine by Kevens. Until next week, slancha. Coffee, banana, dark cream, sweet merlot, give me the nappy, you know.